Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. I was already in a very bad mood when I got this text from Control on the morning of Christmas Eve. Nicholas Barry is a children's book author who has currently jumped wildly in popularity after the release of only a single book, an illustrated version of the life of St. Nicholas written and drawn by him. He has gone around to pack store readings, even in plague times, and is currently on a book tour across the country. He will be at a small store in Hamilton, New Jersey on December 24th, 2020. Something seems off with this whole situation. He gained too much popularity too quickly, and we know too little about him. Too few people are questioning it. It doesn't add up. I want you to investigate, Detective Russo, and resolve the issue to the best of your ability. Vague instructions. As usual, Pinkertons were investigators first and foremost, not secret agents. So we couldn't very well be told what to know before we knew what it was we were dealing with. Still, I was feeling rancorous enough to fight with a man who writes about Santa, because Santa isn't likely to come for a cynical adult. Might as well spit it out here. Cynthia was getting remarried, some egghead programmer with a flashy software developer job. She wasn't leaving Colesville, either. I guess with the plague, software jobs weren't limited to Silicon Valley or New York anymore. Look, to properly explain what happened here... I'm not proud of this, but yeah, before I went out to the book reading to investigate in person, I had a drink. Okay, more than a drink. So yes, when I went out to the bookstore, I might have been just a little bit tipsy. Pinkerton K is just enough for the strong stuff, just not the good stuff. Can you blame me? Over the past few weeks, I've survived gunfire, explosions, witches, and curses, and all sorts of crazy things that I'd have sworn were impossible less than three years ago. And now, to top it all off, my wife's found another man. You drink too, damn it. Who am I kidding? It's all excuses. I messed up, so now you know. I wouldn't mention it, but... You'll see. Before I went, I did the homework I could on Barry. I am a professional, after all. Nothing too interesting here, except that I agreed with Control. There was almost nothing about the old man before he published the book. Supposedly, he was 66, hailed from Turkey originally, but didn't speak with an accent, and he was the spitting image of good old Saint Nick. Apparently, that was why he was fascinated with the story and his readings were done in character. Still, for someone this popular, it was weird that nothing else had been dug up yet. It's all fluff and good vibes. I bought his book. Pretty good for a children's book. Nice illustrations, which were done by him, told the story of St. Nick well. I have nothing bad to say about it. No mind control to force good sales except the natural kind of good craftsmanship. I showed up to the book reading at 12.15pm. It had just started snowing out. And in case you're wondering, no, I didn't drive drunk. 
I was staying near the town in a motel overnight in case I needed to stay nearby and took an Uber over from a bar. The bookstore was pretty packed with a bunch of masked kids and their parents sitting spread out. Nice turnout for a book reading. Barry was dressed as a saint, red and white with a few Catholic ornaments, and read the book with a cheerful, animated air. It irked me. I walked in late and listened for a few minutes before I started speaking. If you want to know why, well, first, I'm not proud of this, but I was drinking, remember? So that's why. I was having a rough go of it. When he got to the part about St. Nick delivering presents to children through their chimneys, I had enough and stepped forward. Huh, he did, huh? Do it in the middle of a plague? Barry looked up from his book. I'm sorry? I don't know how obvious it was that I'd been drinking, but so far people were just confused about me. You know, that saint, the one who went around bringing presents. Good old Saint Nick. He risked a visit from old Corona-chan? Is he just a little too afraid of disease? Is Saint Nick showing up to the hospitals this year? I wasn't even totally sure what I was saying. I didn't mean any of it, it was just my resentment at life in general pouring out. The parents were starting to look uncomfortable, and I think the owners in the background were trying to figure out what they could do to get me out. But Barry looked at me with... compassion, I guess? The saint works for God, sir. Oh, is a God who he works for? More rotten than for all the kids here with all the good gods done. What can the saint do, huh? How is he gonna help guys like me? You gonna read to me at my bedside? Barry stared at me for a second and then said, Make a wish and it'll be granted. A wish. You want my wish. I laughed humorlessly. At this point, the owner of the store grabbed me on the shoulder and started to guide me out. I threw him off and turned towards him. Don't worry, I'm going. But hey, St. Nick, you want to help me out? Get me my wife back. How about that? The old man nodded at me sagely. Done. Nothing happened. I laughed bitterly and walked out. I decided to walk back to my motel. It was cold and the walk would be about a half hour, but it saved money and frankly I needed to cool down. Five minutes out and I already regretted the entire interaction. What the hell was I thinking? Maybe I'd send the bookstore owners a letter apologizing or something. I was still in a rotten mood, and despite trying to avoid it, my mind kept slipping back to Cynthia. When I got back to the derelict motel, I decided to spend a few hours writing my report to Control. I know it's a recording, but you always write out what you want to say in advance to make sure you don't leave anything out. By the time it was finished, it was past nine, and I was tired. I wasn't a fast writer, and I kept procrastinating. Cheap cable TV is just so satisfying when you need to think about anything else at all. I decided to just go to sleep for the night and record my report in the morning. As I laid down the cheap, shabby motel bed, I thought of Cynthia one more time. Tonight would be her wedding night. Can you imagine? Married on Christmas Eve. We were married in the summer. I wouldn't think she'd go for a winter wedding. I guess you only think you know some people. Before I fell asleep, I took off the ring of dispel. The ring that broke enchantments and allowed me to see through the veil to the supernatural powers on the other side. If I wore it while I slept, I'd get horrifying nightmares. To be safe, I kept it tied around my finger with a loose piece of string. It wouldn't stop a thief with an access card and a pair of safety scissors, but it would do much just to stop Faye. As soon as I took it off, I immediately got drowsy. Really drowsy. 
so drowsy that my eyes were closed the second my head fell back upon the pillow. I woke up with a start, feeling confused. For some reason, my blanket felt a whole lot thicker than it had last night. And the mattress was softer too. Nothing gave me the feeling of something dirty that had only been half cleaned. I blinked for a few seconds, looking around, clearing the cobwebs out of my mind. And then I saw her. She was sleeping next to me, just like she always used to. Her beautiful, flowing blonde hair was a tangled mess. I didn't know what she was wearing since she was covered by the blanket, but knowing her and... Oh, I knew Cynthia. It was probably just some loose t-shirt and tight short shorts. But there she was, just like that. I couldn't speak. I couldn't think. With a trembling hand, I reached out and touched her on the arm. She was real. All the right flesh, the warmth, even how her hair reacted to the static charge. She opened her eyes blearily and gave me a smile. Oh, good morning, darling. Is it time to get up already? Here she was in front of me, all of my bitterness, all of my anger at her, all of my regret fought inside of me as I tried to figure out what to do and what to say. Well, what would you do? I did the obvious thing, and I can't say I regret it. I sat her up and kissed her long and hard. God, I had missed Cynthia. And even more amazingly, she kissed me back. After what felt like hours, but was probably seconds, she pulled herself back. Not that I have a problem with it, Shawnee, but I don't think now is the time. Christmas Eve and all, but you have a meeting with Mr. Washington at the Red Stag Pub, remember? I didn't remember. I was still confused and overwhelmed, but I had been trained by old Tom, and that part of my brain was starting to kick in. Getting transported to bizarre alternate realities was not unheard of in the paranormal Pinkertons, and my lessons on it were clear. The smart play would be to play along as best as I was able until I understood what was going on. It was this training that I latched onto as I tried to make sense of things. Obviously, I was in a world where Cynthia and I were together. I needed to figure out what was going on and decide what to do about it. If anything. With this training in mind, I put myself into detective mode. The Red Stag, right. What time was the meeting again? Cynthia looked at me, confused. Come on, Shawnee, how could you forget? We've been planning this for months. It's at ten o'clock. I nodded and tried to sound confident. Of course it is. Let me prepare my stuff and I'll be out soon. I looked at the clock, which I recognized. It was the same digital clock we'd had when we'd lived together. It was showing 8.05. I went to the walk-in closet at the back of the house and tried to gather my thoughts. Slowly I could feel new information settling into my brain as if it was slowly adjusting to this new reality. This wasn't the house Cynthia and I had lived in, but it's even larger. A quick glance out the window told us we still lived in Colesville, but this time the development was Coles Hunt. Larger houses and even more property outside. As I looked around, my brain filled in gaps and answered questions I had like a puzzle slowly being put together piece by piece. Years ago, Cynthia left me after a series of disastrous real estate deals fell through and I lost ridiculous amounts of money in the housing market, then turned to drink to try and stop thinking about it so much. My friends, most of whom were high rollers themselves, mostly turned on me and left me to fend for myself. Depressed and just about suicidal, I drove out in the middle of the night drunk for hours into the middle of the Pine Barrens and... Well, that isn't the point. Point is, this time it was different. My deals never fell through. They were successful. I never became a drunk. 
My friends never left me behind. And I was still married to Cynthia. That was my new reality. But why? As I shaved and showered, look, what else was I going to do? I thought it over and then remembered. Barry! My wish, could it be true? Had he made the wish come true? Who else could it be? It's like I was wrong. There was something supernatural about the old man after all. And there was something else, too. It wasn't Christmas yet. It was still Christmas Eve. The day had started over. Well, it made my way forward, obvious. I had to get back to the bookstore in Hamilton by 12 o'clock. And it was an hour's drive from here. Yeah. That was the way forward. Wasn't it? Did I really want to leave? Cynthia was no illusion. This reality was real. An alternate reality, perhaps, a different timeline, but real. Why should I go back? N no, really. Why? The people I helped? Hmm. Sure, I'd helped some folks as a Pinkerton, but the paranormal Pinkertons were an organization. They'd have found somebody else to do the job, if not me. Surely I wasn't so important to the organization as all that. So, if not that, why? Why not just... live here? I needed time to think. Cynthia was preparing herself alongside me, and when we were done, she looked drop-dead gorgeous in a beautiful little black dress. I guess classics are classic for a reason. She smiled at me as I tried not to gawk at her. Look, I promise I'm not normally like this around women, but it had been so long since I'd seen Cynthia. And like this. Ready to go, Shawnee. Oh, you bet. I'm looking forward to the meeting. The puzzle pieces connected further in my head. The meeting was about the creation of a whole new housing development in Colesville, and my company was going to be heading the project. Mr. Washington was the man in charge of the building company. We'd apparently been negotiating with him and his team for months. As we drove through the town, in I noted my own Camaro, Cynthia chatted with me cheerfully about aimless things. The Red Stag Pub was about a half hour away. I kept up the conversation while she talked, and in the meantime, I went over the situation over and over again in the back of my mind. Then I frowned. A new puzzle piece had fallen into place in my head. Hey, Cindy, what happened to Colesville Chase again? She laughed. Quit kidding around, Sean. That our Santa warehouse deal was our big break. Her eyes weren't looking at me, but they glittered. I looked at her in surprise as we stopped at a light. Or Santo warehouse? I know, I'm still surprised they okayed it too. No, it wasn't very popular, and a lot of residents had to move out of the area because of the chemicals they were using, but it worked out for us. Click, click. More puzzle pieces had slid into place. Apparently, while I was on a winning streak, Rosanto approached the town about building a warehouse near a developed area. They were laughed out of town till I, seeing an opportunity for big money, offered to hook them up with some big money lawyer friends I knew who used to work for the town. It took a year and a half, but not only did I get a substantial cut of the sale of the land, I also helped move the residents of Colesville Chase out of town. None of them were any of the wiser that I was in charge of it all in the first place. Had I really done something like that? Cynthia frowned at me. You're not acting like yourself, Shawnee. Is something wrong? Instead of answering, I said, tell me about this new housing development. Cynthia looked more annoyed than worried. Stop kidding around. You know all about it. Lots of homes grouped close together to save room, sold cheap with high interest rates. 
the mortgage loans are killer. We're going to take advantage of the lower market values with the warehouse in place. So what? You're not the one who decides how the market works, Sean. We talked about this. She laughed and rubbed my arm. I'm not getting cold feet now. Come on, we'll talk some more tonight. It's not like that stuff ever stopped you before. I wrestled with this new information. Was I really the sort of guy who would do this sort of thing? Could I live with myself? But I knew the answer to that. Was I okay with giving up Cynthia? That I didn't know. I turned towards her. Say, are we heading to midnight mass tonight? Now she was flat out angry. Cut the crap, Sean. We haven't been near a church since the day we got married. Now enough of this and focus on the deal. Not since the day we got married. Of course not. I pulled over to the side and looked Cynthia in the eyes. Cindy, I'm going to drop you off home and then there's something I need to do. Stop that, Sean. We have something to do, remember? We have to see Washington about the development. What has gotten into you today? Cynthia, I love you. I've always loved you. I still love you. But you need to stay home. You've never so much as blinked when the lawyer told you it's not about that. As we talked, I had already started the drive back to the house. Well, I talked. By the time we got back, she had been yelling at me for five straight minutes. When it was clear I wasn't going to go to the Red Stag, she finally got out, exasperated. Fine, I'll meet him myself. I don't know what you're on about today, Sean, but I am not letting this fall through. We worked hard for this, and... and we deserve it. You're ruining my life. She wasn't one of those girls who looked good angry. She got into our second car, a cute little Volkswagen Beetle, and drove off on her own, nearly taking the mailbox off. I almost said something about taking care when driving, but the words died in my throat like my strength. I watched her go with regret. I wished I didn't still love Cynthia, but I did. I was just going to have to live with that, I guess. But it was time I went back to that bookstore in Hamilton. By the time I got there, it was just hitting 12 o'clock p.m. Perfect. I parked outside and walked in and managed to get to Barry before it started. He was just opening his book when he saw me and could tell I meant business. I beg your pardon. Do I know you? Can it, Barry? You win. You granted my wish. Fine, okay? I take it back. I take it all back. My life is fine. It's great, even. Now send me back home. Barry looked at me sorrowfully, then shook his head. I can't do that. And why not? That isn't your wish. I thought about it for a moment. I grabbed Barry by the shoulders and this time spoke from the heart. Okay, fine, you win. This new life is pretty great. But... But... But I can't live in a world where I'm such a crummy guy to so many people, alright? Doesn't matter or not whether people know. Changed entire lives, ruined them, and cheated their dreams just for a bigger paycheck. I brought in Orsanto, and I don't even know what they're up to, but it's not going to be good, and... I can't live like this. I wish you would return me back, if only so that I can live with myself. Nick smiled. There you go. That wish I can grant. Without warning, I felt woozy. I collapsed on the floor of the bookstore, only to wake up on my cheap motel bedsheets. 
Something was nibbling on one of my burger wrappers. Electronics crackled in the walls. It felt real. Just the right amount of crap in a motel like this. I looked at a broken clock, then at my phone. Still Christmas Eve. I showed up to Barry's book reading, and this time I stayed for the whole thing. I didn't say anything to him, but we looked at each other and shared a nod, and Barry smiled. Control, I have nothing else to say about the old man. He's just a popular children's book author. He's not going to hurt anybody. Trust me. As for the rest of my Christmas Eve, I drove over to the Cathedral of St. Francis of Assisi in Metuchen, New Jersey. They were giving out food to the poor. I figured I'd join them. Maybe I didn't have all that much going for me right now, but I was doing well enough that I could give out honest food instead of accept it. And that counted for something. Merry Christmas, Control. Sean Russo, signing off. For now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Anthony Marchetta. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our sound editor, audio editor. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on superversivesf.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts, or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.